This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon, everyone. So, we're asking a question, what does it mean to be baptised? Well, we can certainly state from what the scriptural position is that it means to have a new life, a life filled with hope, to have peace of mind, to understand why we are here, where the world is going. It is the very difference between stumbling around in the dark compared to having a light, not just to show us what's around us, but also to show us the route to get out. That is the essence of what it is to be baptised. Now, there are many people in the world who take the position that people are intrinsically good. Um, However, human history provides far too much evidence to the contrary. And the Bible tells us why, in no uncertain terms. Going back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we get the account of Adam and Eve and how they sinned, and how that nature, that disobedient nature, that's, that's the nature of sin, is to be disobedient to God's ways, that nature was passed on to their offspring all the way down to you and me. So our basic nature is to disobey God's ways and please ourselves. That is our intrinsic nature unless we do something about it. And again, the Bible is also unequivocal about the consequences if we do nothing about it and just follow in our natural ways. The Bible makes it quite plain that the wages of sin, of disobedience, is death. Uh, And that's it. There is no other option. But the Bible also does tell us about the solution. A free gift from God offered to all based around the Lord Jesus. His life of sinless obedience and a a willing sacrifice is the centre of God's plan for this earth. Of bringing out a faithful people who will populate his kingdom to come on this earth. So God has provided a way, a means by which that great obstacle of sin can be overcome, that men and women can be saved, they can obtain salvation from their sins. And those sins that we have, that we all have, can be removed for those who are willing to hear and obey his word. And that leads on to a promise of an eternal life of peace and joy in the kingdom to come. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was told by an angel, you shall call his name Jesus, which means saviour, for he shall save his people from their sins. So that was the role that Jesus came to fulfil. That was what he was born to fulfil. And for the first time in human history, a person, a human being, did not sin. They lived every day of their life in obedience to God and therefore did not sin and Jesus voluntarily of his own choice willingly gave himself to that horrible death on the cross as a sacrifice for sin this was the pattern that God had laid down and Jesus willingly fulfilled it but Jesus knew that since he was sinless God raised him again from the dead to that newness of life to a new life that we've just read about in that chapter in Romans A life of immortality and power. Now salvation that we have option, you know, hope of comes through God's mercy and grace. But it is on certain conditions. We read these words in the 
letter, you know, in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter two, uh, Peter. You know, so we get these words from Peter to the people, the people of Jerusalem: "Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins." So we see immediately the link between baptism and the remission or the removal, the you know, the yeah, blotting out of sins. And what it really means is further explained by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. He says, Or do you not know that as many as of, of us are, were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? Just from the, the reading we've just had now. So what we see right from the start is that baptism is introduced as a vital step in that process of salvation. A turning point in our lives. So baptism is... A number of things. It is an act of obedience to the command. It is a cleansing from past sins, a demonstration of our faith and belief in God and Jesus, and a starting point for a new life. There are so many people in the world who are desperate to start new lives. They do it every January. They try it. They try different diets. They try different things to start a new life, start afresh. And usually, they most of them fall short, and they all end in death none of them work but this is a start of a new life that can lead to eternal life and the baptism is therefore a clear representation of a fundamental change in the way we live how we think how we act not just for that moment but also for the rest of our lives so it is very much a starting point and what leads us to making that choice for baptism it's when we become aware that our sins, our disobedience to God, are separating us from God. And that is something that we want to change. We recognise that death is permanent and final. And that we also want to express our gratitude to God for the fact that through Jesus, his own son, who he allowed to die, suffer and die, we have that hope of a free gift. God is giving us so much and offering us so much and is asking so little in return. So I think we can certainly say that baptism is essential. But what is baptism? Well, it is basically implicit in the name itself. Uh, because the, the word baptize that we have in English is directly translated from the Greek word. And the Greek word baptizo literally means to dip or to plunge. And was used specifically for the dyeing trade, dyeing cloth, various colours. And it brings the idea of com complete immersion of the cloth. You can't dye the cloth and you know, expose it to the dye unless it is completely submerged within the dye to allow it to change, to allow its colour to change. And so the, the use of baptism as a, 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 you know, an example of that exactly same thing from a scriptural point of view or you know, from a spiritual point of view is very apt. So scriptural baptism, every occasion when we read of baptism in the scripture, it follows this pattern, that of complete immersion in water, a complete burial in water of an adult believer as a token of their change in their attitude of mind. And that's what it represents. That's what you know, baptism represents. It represents a burial, a symbolic burial representative of death, but then also the coming up out of the water being representative of a resurrection to a new life. We read this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Or, as he wrote to the, you know, the Colossians, you were buried with him in baptism. That's in chapter 2 of the Colossians. And now we understand that it is the dead who are buried, not those who are still alive. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He reminds the Colossian believers of their natural condition before they came to obey the gospel. He says just these few words in verse 13 of chapter 2. You being dead in your sins. So his message and his meaning is clear to them and to us. They and we had been as good as dead in the sight of God because of the natural sinful nature. They had no hope and no prospect but death. They needed to acknowledge this truth about themselves, just as we do, and to go down into the waters of baptism as to their own death, recognizing that the judgment that that would represent, because they were sinners, was just from God. So, going down into the water is representative of the old person, the old way dying. But so also the coming up out of the water then is representative of the resurrection. Rising to, as it says in verse 4 of chapter 6 of Romans, newness of life. By this means we are born again. And that phrase has caused problems for people over the years. One of which was an individual called Nicodemus. A Jewish leader of the time who came to Jesus at night for fear of what the people might think about him in terms of going to see Jesus. And Jesus says, this is in uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 3, uh, and we read that Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus took these words literally and, and was in, you know, a bit puzzled that he thought he couldn't be born again. But Jesus explained this further in verse 5. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, why should Jesus say born of water unless it was a clear reference to baptism? And that it was an absolute necessity for entry into the kingdom of God. We also see that John the Baptist, by his very definition of his name, baptizing people was what John did in the rivers and in the sort of waterways. And he'd actively been preaching repentance and then baptizing those who truly repented, turned away from their former lives to a new life, doing this primarily in the River Jordan. What we also note is that Jesus himself was baptized by John. And we have to then stop and say, if Jesus himself was baptized, how important, therefore, for those who want to be his followers, must it be? Now, when Jesus at the end of his ministry after he had been raised to eternal life before you know, when he ascended before he ascended to heaven he left his his apostles to continue the work of preaching the gospel and he charged them to you know with these words in you know the gospel of mark chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16 go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he who believes and is baptized will be saved but he who does not believe will be condemned and this makes it quite plain the order of events specified by Jesus. First, belief of the gospel. Second, baptism. That baptism cannot precede belief and understanding of the basic gospel message. So that asks the question, what do we need to know to be baptized? Well, we must have faith in God 
that God exists, that God is in control, that the word that we have in front of us, the Bible, is his word and lays out for us how we are to live our lives and the hope of eternal life that it offers. But it mustn't just be an academic knowledge. It must be something that affects us internally, that it changes us such that we use it to guide our lives. Our lives are affected and changed in every aspect just as the cloth going into the dye the dye is absorbed into every part of the cloth so too the word of god has to be absorbed into us but we recognize that baptism is a starting point not a point where you are perfect at that point so having a perfect knowledge of the scripture in every way is not an you know an absolute requirement for baptism what we do need to know about and the things that it talks about when it talks about baptism is the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Those are the things that we need to know concerning. Now we've already touched on the fact that the word, the name Jesus means saviour. So the things relating to the name of Jesus are those concerned with his sacrifice, his saving sacrifice by which we can be, our sins can be forgiven and therefore we can be saved. And the name Christ means the anointed one. A name which relates to the, his future role as king over the whole earth in the kingdom of God. So these are the things that we need to not just know about, but believe with our entire heart, with all of our being. And we see how this can happen. This change, this understanding of the absolute need for baptism to be saved and how it affects their lives can be seen in the, you know, in the Acts chapter 8, uh, in an incident where Philip, one of, the, uh, one of the apostles, is brought to an Ethiopian eunuch who's returning from Jerusalem to his homeland. And Philip joins the Ethiopian eunuch in his, his chariot, his, his carriage, uh, taking him back. And Philip explains the meanings. The, you know, the eunuch is, wants to know, wants to understand Philip explains the meaning of Jesus's fulfillment of the scriptures and the Ethiopian eunuch asks of Philip see here is water what hinders me from being baptized and we then go on to read and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him so therefore Philip must have told the eunuch of the meaning and the necessity of baptism for him to raise the question at all so it must have been one of the you know, one of the immediate things that Philip talked about was the absolute necessity because the eunuch obviously understands that and gets that and sees the water and has that deep desire to want to be baptized but Philip's words uh, make, make it clear that the baptism only occurred after belief because we read in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37 yeah, Philip says to the eunuch, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answers and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And I think in that one phrase, he summed up all of his faith and belief in God and his, you know, sir, and, and the son, his son, the Lord Jesus. So all that we've looked at so far shows us that quite clearly that the decision to be baptized is one we must take for ourselves when we believe and we have faith and we see the absolute need for salvation for ourselves. That it is certainly a, in that respect, a very selfish thing. It is something we do for ourselves. 
We are doing it for ourselves because it is the only means of avoiding death. And once we are baptised and we come up out of the water, it is that new life that is talking, spoken of. So back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by, yeah, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Or as he added to the Colossians that, you know, that, that you know, they were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So the parallel is clear. As Jesus rose from the dead to a new kind of life, an immortal nature, so the belief in him, in him rises from the waters of baptism to new life. The believer still has the same physical nature as before, but their outlook has changed. Now they have a new objective, the will of God and the commands of Jesus. That is their objective. That is what they are now a slave to, a servant to, not to sin anymore, but to the will of God. And this is confirmed by the very clear command Jesus gave to his disciples as he was about to leave them. This is in Matthew now, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. So after baptism comes that need to, for that ongoing obedience to the commandments. So the task of the apostles after Jesus' ascension was a teaching mission, and that explicitly included baptism. In Romans chapter 6, in the you know, verses 12 and 14, we read these words. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And sin shall not have dominion over you. So although we may still sin, we can be, you know, once we are baptized, those sins can be forgiven and blotted out, and therefore not remembered anymore. And we are no longer dominated by sin as we were before baptism. We, once you're baptised, you have hope. You have that opportunity to have a complete change of mind, a change of attitude, to strive after following the footsteps of Jesus. We get these words in Colossians and chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ in baptism, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died in baptism and your life is hidden with Christ in God so it's not a, a question of if but if we are baptized and if we are faithful throughout the rest of our lives we do have eternal life we do have it it is a guaranteed promise from God that those who are faithful will be given eternal life And also, on that day when the Lord Jesus returns and judges the earth, if we are, you know, we are received favourably, then our nature will be changed. Just as Jesus was changed when he rose up from the dead to an immortal existence, we also get the same. In Philippians, the letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, we read these words. We also eagerly await for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So with all the suffering that people have through the infirmities and frailties of our bodies uh, as we go through life, all the difficulties, all the illnesses, all the pains and the aches and the suffering will be gone away with. That we will have a body like Jesus, perfect, 
pain-free forever. And it's not just a question of those who are alive when Jesus returns to gain this, this reward. The scriptures make it quite plain that even all those who have died in faith after baptism also have the same hope. Because we get these words of guarantee from the Lord Jesus. We read this in sort of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them who have fallen asleep. For since man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's by baptism at his coming. So we see that those who are Christ's through baptism, those who associated themselves with the death and the resurrection of Christ's will be gathered to Jesus. So baptism is an act of obedience to all who believe the message of the Bible. And it is only those who have an understanding of the good tidings of the kingdom of God and those things concerning the name of Jesus Christ. It means in the kingdom a union with Christ, both in this life, in terms of trying to bring our minds and our hearts and our lives closer to the Lord Jesus, but also looking forward to that day in the kingdom. Now, whilst we think of baptism as being purely a New Testament, something that we find in the New Testament of the Bible, we actually know that it has always been there. It has always been part of God's plan and purpose. And the New Testament actually picks this out. A number of examples that we get picked out to clearly represent the fact that this has always been there and always been part of God's plan. So, uh, in the first letter of Peter, in chapter 3, Peter refers back to the days of Noah and the time of the flood that cleansed the earth that God sent to destroy all of the unfaithful people on the earth and reset, restart, a new start for the earth. And it reminds us that out of the whole population at that time, only Noah and his immediate family were saved. Out of all of those others, they were all destroyed, uh, destroyed by the flood. Now, Noah and his family were saved because they and they alone obeyed God's instructions and were in the ark. The floodwaters which were responsible for drowning everybody else and taking away their breath of life, taking away their life, enabled the ark to float safely and thus preserving the lives of those eight people. So Peter says that Noah and his family were saved by water. This is what he wrote in, in, that, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3. The long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And comparing this to baptism is not something he leaves to chance. He makes it quite plain in, the next ver in verse 20. There is also an antitype which now saves us, namely baptism. So Peter doesn't leave it to people to just yeah, infer the connection between the, you know, the saving of Noah and his family and baptism, he makes it quite plain. Yeah, we now have baptism to achieve the same aim of salvation. Now, if Noah had refused to listen to God and had not been prepared to enter the ark, then he would have died like everybody else. Similarly, if we refuse to be baptized, then we cannot have any hope of being saved from death. 
So that's one. Paul also does the same thing. He looks back into the Old Testament and draws an analogy between baptism and the Exodus. So as the children of Israel were being brought out of Egypt to be brought into the promised land, God led them uh, out of Egypt and they were then trapped uh, against uh, sort of the Red Sea uh, with the Egyptian army pursuing them. But God brought them out safely, miraculously allowing his people to cross the Red Sea so they could escape from the pursuing Egyptians. The waters of the Red Sea parted and the Israelites walked on a dry pathway through. And a cloud representing, representative of God's presence was above them so they had water surrounding them as they crossed through the sea safely. And Paul says that this was a form of baptism. We see this in 1 Corinthians and chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So we see that the Israelites' passage through the divided sea and under the cloud, surrounded by water, was essential if they wanted to be saved from death at the hands of the Egyptians who were pursuing them. So both of those Old Testament illustrations link to baptism and make it as a beginning of a new life. So just as Noah and his family emerged from that ark into that fresh new world, you know, without all, all of the, the sins and the problems of it washed away and are completely reset to an, a brand new start. And similarly, the Israelites, after crossing the Red Sea, their journey had led them away from being oppressed slaves in Egypt. They were now free men and women. So a new life and a better life had opened up for them. Although with the children of Israel, they didn't always appreciate that necessarily, as we, we all do not always appreciate the blessings that we have. If we follow that analogy through to baptism, we would expect the same to be true. Baptism should mark a new beginning in a person's life. Old ways should be left behind and a new start should be made. All we see, have seen here um, in what we want to discuss so far does eliminate the whole concept of infant baptism, which obviously is prevalent and quite common as a, as a thought, the feeling that that is an acceptable means of baptism. Why? For a number of reasons. One, a sprinkling of water does not meet the type that God has laid down and it is for us to conform to God's ways not for us to conform God's ways to us and at the same time an infant cannot express that choice or faith or understanding which is made plain as a prerequisite for baptism without that understanding that faith that choice baptism means nothing so with, you know, therefore, baptising of infants or young children who lack that understanding does not achieve anything in God's eyes. So the consequences of baptism. The consequence, as we said at the start, is that we are no longer separated from God by our sins, but have become sons and daughters. That is the closeness of the relationship we can have once we have chosen to be his servants and chosen to be obedient and therefore if we are sons and daughters we are precious in his sight and heirs of that kingdom that Jesus will establish on this earth this is the glorious hope that God offers to each and every one of us as a free gift 
And what we read in, you know, in, in Romans chapter 6, I think, sums that up beautifully. In verse, from ver- just reading from verse 10 to 11. For the death that he died, Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.